But uh, I usually like to just talk for like five or ten. Well, I'm going to say five or ten minutes. When it's just the three of us, it ends up often being like an hour. <laughs> but yeah, we yeah. won't, keep we you won't for that put anyone through that. I do mm-hmm. like to just uh, talk for like a few minutes to warm up. But, yeah. Um, I, I do feel like the worst part of report, recording a podcast is like having to stay on topic. Like you just want to talk with people. And then, oh, 100%. You know, yeah. yeah. Especially right now with COVID. It's like, oh, this is my social interaction for the week. Uh, yeah. Let's get off topic. Yes, this has completely like um, supplanted my social life now. Um, <laughs> I just record a podcast once a week, and that's like yeah. the extent of my that and going to work or whatever is my is my. Yeah, we really life. do spend like the first hour just catching up. It feels like and yeah, then, absolutely, and then we just forget that we're doing a podcast. But we we do end up talking about stupid Canucks stuff. We spent an hour. No, we spent at least like almost two hours talking about the game five Anaheim series. <laughs> yeah. Harrison, where were you during the poop game? Uh, I think I was just at home. I watched it. I want to say I watched it at home. Um, yeah. yeah, like I, I remember it all. Like the the drama. Like where is Luongo? And like, oh, he's pooping. And then like, uh oh, <laughs> like this poop is taking a really long time. Like, can Danny Sabrin hold down the fort until Roberto Luongo is finished pooping? Like it was a great drama. <laughs> um, you know, and then eventually he did finish pooping and arrived just in time to lose the game. And I feel like, you know, for like a future Hall of Famer, uh, what an incredible, most humiliating moment. Like, <laughs> like carried the Canucks all year and then had a butthole emergency. And that was the end of the playoffs. Yeah, and then lost, like gave up the uh, series winning goal because he was like trying to draw a penalty. <laughs> yeah, Like yeah. just what a nightmare. Like after, after, yeah, after all they'd been through and all he'd been through. Yeah, I think that that game was a metaphor for his entire career in Vancouver. Just like <laughs> all this work to end with butthole problems. And <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair it enough. sucks because we couldn't find any video feed of Dave Nonis looking down at the ice, having no idea what's going on. Because I, I remember <laughs> yeah. that part vividly, but none of the highlights on YouTube have that moment. I feel like you can well, probably he... find footage of Dave Nonis not knowing what's going on from <laughs> any game. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Zing. At the draft, at press conferences. Where is he now? Is he is he still a front office guy somewhere? Yeah. Ironically I enough, I think he's in Anaheim. Oh, okay. <laughs> a weird Burke known as little team. Yeah. These kept, like hapless yeah. hapless hockey guys, like they never go away, hey? They just get you know, hired by a new team as like the third guy or the fourth guy, and they still get to hang out in the office and eat like free popcorn, and they don't yeah, do yeah. anything. I think they don't do anything. You like just get yeah. demoted. Like after a certain point, you might get to a point where you're not allowed to be a general manager anymore, but you're never like not allowed to work in hockey anymore. Yeah, no, it's Unless, crazy. No, you're black. I mean, that's if yeah. you're black, then you're like one mistake and you're out of the league. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Fair enough. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. But, all right, folks. Welcome to another episode of Roxy Fever. I'm your host, Jackson McDonald. With me, as always, Vyasaran and Elliot Hoyt. And we've got a guest this week. He is a reporter for the Vancouver Sun, a soon to be published author, and formerly one half of Pasadabulas. It's Harrison Mooney. Harrison, how are you? Hey, I'm good. I think it's uh, funny that we decided to have you on before we had Daniel on. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, you know, can Daniel speak to the current moment like I can? I, I don't think he can. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. 
I mean, I did really want to avoid like have a black person on the show yeah, to yeah. avoid uh, uh, to to uh, explain racism to us or whatever. But well, who um, else is gonna explain? I've, it? Exactly. I've been trying to yeah. do that for a year and a half, and Jackson doesn't listen to me. So <laughs> typical, typical. You one of these guys posting to your Facebook like I realized something today for the first time. Uh, black people haven't been lying for a half a millennium. <laughs> it's it's been real. They're they're not kidding. I had a uh, I I think it was our friend Mal uh, just like posted uh that picture of the guy on uh snapchat or whatever where it's just like an attractive like male model looking white guy with the caption uh oh i just oh, yeah. found out about racism that shit sucks man <laughs> and, yeah, and she was just like oh, this is uh this is everyone in the nhl <laughs> yeah um so tell us a little bit before we go any further here tell us a little bit about the book i'm really excited about it uh yeah uh well so it's it's due in the fall of 2022 it's uh tentatively titled the boy who saw what wasn't there um and uh it's it's a memoir i know i'm, I'm a little young to be writing a, a memoir about my life you know i'm 34 <laughs> hopefully all the good stuff is still coming but hey man uh, the world is gonna end soon so <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> you may as well um yeah I've, I've been i've been trying to write this book my whole life i mean it, it's a, about my whole life um but it's been a weird life um i uh uh i was adopted uh as a baby um, and then raised uh, by a, a white family out in Abbotsford, and we were like very religious, um, you know, so religious that like we went to a bunch of different churches, and then we would leave those churches because they weren't like on fire enough. Um, <laughs> wow. And so eventually, there were a bunch of other people who were disgruntled with how there just wasn't a church crazy enough for uh, for for us for this community of people who needed like a really crazy church. Um, and then that church was born and we went to that for a few years until it fizzled out spectacularly. And, um, you know, there was a bunch of other stuff that happened. Uh, obviously I was black the whole time and didn't really realize it. Uh, I figured that out when I was like 25, you know, it took a long time. Um, you know, so it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it will, it will kind of trace my journey from, uh, like a, a white cult, uh, in my childhood, to, to black consciousness, which, uh, I mean, I'm still working on, but I, I think I, I kind of started to, to get there um, when I, I reconnected with my, my birth mother around the time that I was 20. Um, hmm. so, oh, wow. So, yeah. your black consciousness is due in, in 2022. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That, that project. That's right. <laughs> that project is... <laughs> yeah, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, like, I just think it's an important story. Um, you know, b- because I, I grew up out here, and, like, obviously, like, I'm surrounded at all times by, like, mostly white people. Um, you know, I'm, uh, like, I'm very used to, to telling this story to white people. Uh, and I'm also, you know, quite used to white people being quite blown away by this story and surprised that these things are happening, you know, in our own backyard. And, um, you know, surprised to find out that the past isn't in the past. It's, it's the mm-hmm. present. We're still living in it. Um, you know, and, uh, like how permeating and just kind of like omnipresent uh, systemic racism actually is in your life and how like unmistakable it is when you are a racialized person just trying to go through the world. Um, you know, I, I feel like I, I have the ability now to tell this story to people who it turns out have just started to want to hear this story. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, you know, in that sense, the, the, the timing is good. Um, but, uh, you know, I've still got a lot of work. I have to, I have to finish writing this book. I've written two chapters. Uh, I, I promised 10. Um, so it's going to be a long year. Wow. 
Never uh, underestimate to like the ability for white Canadians to be self-congratulatory and assume that they ended racism. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, it's amazing. Like when people kept sharing those like the top ten New York Times bestsellers right now. Oh great, they're all about race and all about understanding uh, uh, being black in America. But it really is just for white people. All the yeah, and they're, and they're all yeah. written by Italians for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> So white um, fragility is written by an Italian lady. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no like Franz Fanon. There's like no James Walden on there. But it's all, it's all how, how do I understand my own fragility? Oh, yeah, it's yeah. like really simple stuff. Like I think that yeah. uh, Ijoma Aluo, the, the book that she wrote. So mm-hmm. you want to talk about race? Um, I feel like that's like the perfect entry level text for like for people who like need an entry level text in 2020 like mm-hmm. this book exists and it's great and I'm really glad uh, that it exists uh, and I, I feel like when I when I like I read it like oh what are we what are we telling these people <laughs> uh, and I uh, I read it and I was actually blown away by how um you know like the the language that she uses to explain it uh, I felt like it's it's quite local. I felt like she was speaking like, you know, like a, a black person who grew up in the Pacific Northwest hmm. and has really like developed her language around making sure that white people who don't want to understand her can understand her. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, that's probably my favorite of these entry level texts. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, people are, are starting from the bottom right now. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, as we alluded to this uh, off air before we started recording, but Elliot and I were both like pretty big fans of your early forays into non-hockey writing uh, on your Tumblr. And there was one story in particular that I that really stuck out to me about a specific priest that you interacted with oh, that yeah. basically talked about like how uh, all how god made all the races have different specific problems that were unique yeah. to them do, do, do you mind telling us a little bit about that yeah um that story is is uh, being rewritten for this book um because it was pretty formative um so that's uh you know we went to this 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 big charismatic church uh it was called uh gateway christian center um and uh, it doesn't exist anymore so i can i can talk about it all i want <laughs> And, um, you know, we had a pastor that like we'd like we'd imported him from California from like this big evangelism organization. And like he was like a real man of God, you know, everything he said, like that was the word of God. Um, And we all listened to him and we all loved following him. So this one day, you know, he gets up there and he starts talking about the the concept of uh, of you know original sin and this idea that like when you're born you have inherited the sins of like your father and your grandfather and your forefathers on and on and on down the line um, and then he kind of pivots from that to like uh, you know races have specific generational sins that they are always dealing with you know so he's like white people like we always want to be in charge of stuff <laughs> like <laughs> you know oh like, like, I mean he did get in. that one right let's be fair. <laughs> yeah you know but it was like it was like an aw shucks kind of flaw like ah Uh, like those cheeky whites like they're always (laughs) trying to conquer us um and then uh you know i like he said i feel like he said something about like you know like chinese people and it was like also like a dumb stereotype but then uh yeah he was like black people um and obviously that caught my attention because i was like 10 years old and the only black person at this church uh, he's like, black people struggle with sexual sin. Like they're, they're naturally sexually immoral. Um, and it all traces back to this one Bible story. I don't want to tell a Bible story on your podcast, fellas, but I actually do. Um, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, Noah, uh, you know, he, he builds his ark. He watches the, just like the mass destruction of humanity. Uh, and then, uh, afterwards, 
he goes out and he plants a vineyard. So he plants this vineyard and he gets drunk. This is like in the Bible. He gets wasted um, and he passes out. And one of his sons, Ham, comes along and like sees his dad passed out and sees that his dad's like cloak has like slipped up and he can see his dad's butt. So he's like, ha, 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 that's pretty funny. He goes back, he tells his brothers, like, brothers, I saw dad's butt. And they're like, oh, my God. Like, you absolutely cannot look at dad's shame. <laughs> uh, and so then they go back in and they cover Noah uh, without looking at him. And then the Bible says uh, that when Noah woke up and discovered what his son had done to him, he cursed him to, you know, walk the earth. And God gave him a mark. Um, and a lot of Christians, like a lot of Christians, I'm blown oh away by gosh. how many Christians believe that that mark was black skin and that all oh black people gosh. descend from this specific act. And they also believe that uh, the thing that uh, that Ham did to Noah wasn't just like see his butt, but like, you know, assault him. So Jesus. like they believe uh, that we all descend from this like one bizarre, uh, you know, like an horrific act, which like, no. Um, but you know, the pastor explained this and then he explained, uh, that yes, this is why, uh, all black people struggle with sexual sin. And I remember in that moment, you know, being angry, uh, and not knowing what to do. Cause like, who's going to challenge the pastor and kind of hoping that someone else in the church would stand up for me. Um, uh, but what happened instead is this guy behind me, he just reached out and he touched me on the shoulder and he was like, ah. you can beat this man. Oh, oh. Man. <laughs> yeah, and like even to this day, I'm I'm chilled by how much solace I took from that. Like I, uh, it was it was you know he was the one person in there who agreed that I was bad, but also believed that maybe I could be good. Um, and it uh, it yeah it, it sticks with me even now. It was Which just is kind of a, a bizarre thing. Oh to probably go still an improvement over the other hundred people who just had no reaction whatsoever. Yeah, including like my parents. Like, come on. They're probably still um, thinking about whatever the Chinese story was. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I might have to go back and find someone else who went to this church. Like, hey, do you remember this? But uh, I do. I worry that no one else will. Uh, it, it impacted me and only me, I think, because it, it hit me in my alternate reality that they never saw, like the one I existed in. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, who knows? Who knows what they remember? But uh, certainly a, a troubling story. Well, going to be a good chapter. <laughs> yeah to say the least i, I really yeah. i really am so excited i i don't know i i was so on our like um on our patreon episode that we were talking about where we talked about the the poop game with um with roberto luongo's diarrhea incident or whatever um something that i mentioned was how i have this really soft spot for yannick hansen because he's the first uh player that i i remember his first game yeah, you know, like I remember watching his first game and being aware as a like, um, you know, like 13, 14 year old or whatever, like, oh, my gosh, this is a player who's never played for us before. And I'm like getting to watch him, you know, develop and start or whatever. And that's kind of how I feel about reading your Tumblr in like 2015 mm -hmm. or whatever. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about the book and we'll have to um, have you back on when when it actually comes out. But um. We are, you know, ostensibly a hockey podcast. Yes, so yes. I um how I know you haven't when was the last time you actually wrote about hockey for the Sun? It's been a little while, hasn't it? Oh yeah, it's it's been a while. Um I, I think I wrote a, a few columns, kinda unsolicited columns at the beginning of this year. Um and then, you know, I did a couple of those like live blogs that they like doing whenever there's a like an important event. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been ages since I was really engaged with the Canucks, or you know, like watched uh, watched Canucks games enough that I, I think I can, you know, I could I could run a blog, say, and write about them every day, and you know, have opinions about who's good and who <laughs> is a replacement level player actually, and you know, like who drives who's Corsi and whatnot. Like I'm 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 not up on it like I used to be. Yeah, fair enough. Ever since I uh, quit Canucks Army, I've I found it so freeing to yeah. not have to care about that stuff. Like yeah. and it's so much it's so much better because I get to care about like the stuff in even though I'm still very much part of hockey and hockey Twitter and whatever, it is nice to like, oh, now I can just kind of focus on the stuff in the world of hockey that actually is at least slightly related to things that matter instead of just like ah is this uh fourth line player slightly better than this other fourth line player or whatever but how much do you keep up with things these days like uh i mean you know i like i i pay enough attention i feel like i could probably name most of the guys on the canucks <laughs> roster um <laughs> you know which i think that's that's pretty good fellas um but uh <laughs> more yeah, than I more also... than vias probably <laughs> hey hey relax i just did the right before we started this i was doing the uh daniel's quiz from can you name all 57 players who scored a goal at the Cityans? and oh yeah i love that quiz i designed so, that so quiz good. that's uh i'm proud of that quiz and i still take it every now and then when i'm trying to procrastinate oh amazing um, yeah it's fun yeah i i got 46 out of 57 but i i know i cheated a little bit that's pretty good I, that is really yeah good. We we are yeah. going to talk about city and line mates later. So I um I also did that quiz and I I think I got forty nine or fifty, but I also did it like a week ago when I started doing the research for this episode. So yeah, uh, I think that time I got maybe like uh like forty tops. So you actually did better than me, Vias. So that's good. Mm. But every um, time I do this quiz, I forget Jan Bulis. So being a being a more do you enjoy like being a more casual observer of the Canucks? Yeah, is that like... I love it. The coolest thing right now is when I turn on a Canucks game and I don't know a player. Like you know when like <laughs> like like his name was I think, like Tyler Grauvac, that guy. You remember that? <laughs> God, that was amazing. Like I wasn't paying attention. All I pay sudden, attention. I don't like, know who that guy is. <laughs> Grauvac. Who the hell? It was amazing. Um, and yeah, like after after spending so much time being you know so involved, um, you know to to turn on a Canucks game. And, and learn new information like from the broadcast, I think is like, that's pretty, that's great. Cause yeah, you know, when I was focused on, on Canucks hockey with Bullis, like, you know, you turn on the broadcast and be like, this is, you know, rudimentary stuff. Like, tell me something cool and new. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes. But you know, if you're, if you're checked out, uh, checked out enough, it turns out the broadcast seems very fresh. Yeah, you're way too close to it at that point. <laughs> I was going to say while well, I was doing the quiz. I had a very sad moment because I I typed in Elias Pettersson. I know, right? <laughs> I got really sad. Um, I, I went down a dark path there. What do you think of the uh, the return to play plan, Harrison? Oh, I mean, it's stupid, right? Every every <laughs> single one of these return to play plans is the dumbest thing in the world. Like, you are going to go into a biodome created by <laughs> a consortium of billionaires. These guys are going to respect your life in this biodome. <laughs> like, these guys, they're basically modern day slave owners, and they're going to like force you to go back to work. They are right. They, co- Absolutely. they co- welcome to Roxy Fever. Yeah, <laughs> you're on the right trail. 
<laughs> like, yeah, they, they collect the most athletic bodies in the world. That's what they do. They're slave owners. And mm-hmm. uh, these guys are going to force all these dudes to get back to work. Um, and then they're going to send them off into this weird little bubble. Uh, and these guys, like the whole league, these players have to trust that the, the billionaire owners are going to, you know, pull the chute if there's a problem and you know they're going to be very careful and you know nobody's going to be an idiot about it and they're they're definitely not going to hide it if a player uh you know tests positive for covid-19 mm-hmm. like i just can't think of anybody that i would trust less than a consortium of Absolutely. billionaires um and and it doesn't surprise me as well that uh, you know hockey seems to be the first one of the the big 4 that's going to go back and do this because I feel like the NBA, like these guys are smart enough to know, like you can't trust these guys, but, (laughs) but hockey has its own problems. And as a result, you know, you've got a bunch of loyal soldiers who, for whatever reason, trust these billionaires and they're going to march right into the biodome. Um, I I think it's crazy. Um, I think, yeah, you cancel every sports season, like friggin' cancel it. Um, Yeah. yeah, I'm very against it. Same. Totally agree. I can't wait until like, if, if it ever happens or if the league ever gets resumed for a player coughing on the bench and, and just nobody, nobody wanted to talk about it. And yeah. just every yeah. Twitter just fixating on that. It's going to be great. That reminds me of when, um, cause I, I don't watch, um, I never watched the debates, but I was like interested in the, that one, uh, Bernie Biden debate when it, when they were yeah. like the last two guys. And I just remembered uh, Joe Biden coming out, and within like five seconds, he was he was just like, "Well, you know," and, and just being like, "Holy shit!" Because uh, it was right at the start of the pandemic, and like, right at the I, I'm just waiting for that one like uh, replay of just like Tyler Myers on the bench coughing. And just getting, hearing like Cheech and uh, Shorty like breaking down the cough and just like playing the replay <laughs> and trying to, is this a COVID cough or is it just a regular cough or, oh, yeah. yeah. No, I don't, I don't trust it either, but there's a part of me that does think it really is going to happen and they are going to, oh, it's going to start, keep going with it. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's just a terrible idea. I feel like, uh, I mean, who, have you guys watched the, the, the meth lab season, the season where they're building the meth lab on Better Call Saul? And they've got all these dudes like locked yes. in, like, and of course somebody tries to escape or is stupid about it or like you know moves a security camera so he can go visit his wife. Like, look, you're not getting perfect buy-in from this league of individuals. Like, it's not happening. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, anytime that people are, are trying to push this plan, like, oh yeah, uh, hockey players are all going to be very smart uh, and they're all going to be very safe. Um, if there's one thing we know about hockey players, it's that they're smart and they're safe. Um, like, come on, uh, it's Jake just pretending can drive without like going on his phone. Like we're not, we're not in good hands. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. It's a terrible idea. Yeah. We never actually talked about that on the show, but that was, <laughs> that was hilarious. I, um, I, I can't decide like what my favorite meltdown of, or just like not meltdown, but just like oopsie daisy moment of, of the quarantine for, for the NHL has been, cause there've been so many good, like fuck-ups over this period like there was the we talked about jeremy roenick accidentally admitting to gambling crimes <laughs> and we talked a little bit about brandon prust but he had another uh, oh. meltdown like a couple days ago did you see that harrison uh i mean i saw the the first one where he had i saw like most of the time these hockey guys like they don't cross over into 
Like, I follow a lot of, like, black scholars and, like, the black scholar community and then the hockey Twitter community. <laughs> like, never the twain shall meet, right? So, yes. like, um, but, yeah, like, Mark Lamont Hill retweeted Brandon Prest one Shut day. Up. And I was like, what? What? And he, he said, uh, this is, like, the dumbest take I've ever seen on Twitter about anything. And I, I, <laughs> <laughs> or something to that effect. And I just, I agreed with him completely, like, yeah, just so stupid. It was I, just I need a... to go back to that. Mark Lamontel is the one who was like used to be on CNN until he talked about Palestine or something, right? Yeah, uh, something like that. I don't know yeah. what he did. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, here, I'm going to pull up this tweet. Uh, he said, uh, <laughs> <Go> <laughs> wait, it. come on. He said, this may be the most absurd take I've ever seen on Twitter from a real person. I'm not even sure what to say. <laughs> wow. Um. <laughs> That's amazing. The the take for just for the listeners who aren't aware was that uh, a good way to solve the problem of police violence in America would be if we gave everyone who resisted arrest life in prison. Life in prison. Like first of all, we pretty much already do. So <laughs> catch up. Fair. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, unbelievable. Amazing. That 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 reminds me of like sometimes uh, as a as a bit, I'll just like do a thought exercise where I'm like, how do I create a take that would piss literally everyone off? <laughs> like, that no one would like, that would just make everyone so mad. Um, I think I... And thus, this podcast is born. And then, yes, yeah. And then he, he did a follow-up to it where he was like, hey, okay, yeah, I, I, I messed up. Um, I, I was wrong. Maybe, like, one year would make more sense. Uh, but, but also, like, I never talked about... I never talked about race. Like I didn't actually mention race, and I just, oh. I, I just immediately <laughs> thought of that drill tweet. That's yeah, where, he, where he's like, "Oh, uh, um, you know, okay, sorry, I was wrong. Rap music music existed before the '90s, <laughs> but uh, all the other objectionable shit I say on here is 100 percent true." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I do feel like that's that's something that comes up a lot. Like people will say stuff that they have. They have no idea it's racist. Like they're they're so far away from the point. Like they're so dumb about like you know race and ethnicity and identity that you know you can shout like you know what I know that like the police just killed a guy. We all saw it. We all saw it. But we should give the police more power. And mm-hmm. if you don't if you don't listen to the police, you should be thrown in jail forever. And then when people are like that does seem racist in and out of context, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> He's like, what? I never said black, uh, so I don't see how you can say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you the the other really good one was just the NHL itself uh, releasing that video of just people replying to Tyler Sagan's Instagram posts. <laughs> Did you see that? Yeah, it was yeah, up for like I, an hour, right? Yeah, <laughs> I skipped that one. I skip a lot of these things because, like. I mean, the NHL does this stuff all the time. Um, it's hard to keep up. It's true. Yeah. And that Sagan one was up for all of five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I tried I tried pretty hard to avoid that one, too. Did you see it, Elliot? Yeah, I saw it. I thought it was... Yeah. It was pure art, but not in the way they meant it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, the, it's like the room. It became genius by being the opposite <laughs> of what it was trying to be. But it was so great because it was... Um, it was literally just like a minute of this like sort of techno music playing while people just congratulated Tiger Tyler Sagan for, you know, saying some like 
I mean, I, I don't. I, I'm not going to shit on Tyler Sagan. Like, what? probably one of the best player statements. Yeah, and he and he also like actually went to the protests, which is a lot more than than what a lot of these guys have done. But it was just entirely like his post, and then people being like, "Wow, so inspired." And then just the the tagline like "Use your voice," and it's like, <laughs> "Holy shit! This this is a video about black people getting killed by the police that has no black people in it. That is just like, look how awesome Tyler Sagan is." Yeah, like that happens all the time with the NHL, and it's like I, I don't think that the league realizes that like their history of being tone deaf on race. Um, like says so much more than they realize, you know, like there's all these, these organizations and like media outlets even that are just so ill-equipped for this moment right now. And it's because, you know, they've got like no black reporters, they've got no black editors, like they've got, you know, nobody who has a different perspective on this than like, you know, the bunch of like privileged white folks who are able to work their way up to this, this job that is a marker of white privilege, like media in Canada is like, you get there because you had access to white privilege and you are very good at speaking whitely on TV or writing whitely in the newspaper. Like, mm-hmm. that's the whole idea. So yeah. these organizations just don't, like, they, they look so foolish now. And it's, it's amazing to me that they can't see, like, if you actually were to properly diversify to make sure that you've got, like, a, you know, a real representative body putting together your, your marketing and putting together, you know, your community outreach you wouldn't look like such a bunch of stupid assholes. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. you know, they do. And like at this point, if you haven't put that team together, like, that's a statement about where you stand on this issue. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at this point, like, I mean, you know, the NHL doing that now, it's like, well, of course. Like, the NHL is an openly racist league. Like, there's no other way that, that these things continue to happen into Snaps. 2020. Uh, you know, after years and years and years of backlash and outcry and people demanding changes and they keep doing it, it's because they've chosen to keep doing it. Um, so, yeah, it's never really a surprise when these things happen. <clears throat> yeah, no, I mean, I won't get into the details of this little interaction you and I had not long ago, but yeah, when I see, like, similar to the interaction you and I had, but when I see the NHL, anything hockey related, be like, we're going to comment on race. I just look the other way. I'm, I don't have time for this. It's yeah. such a waste of my time to to see how you, how you how this uh, league failed at it. Yeah. yeah, it's it really is remarkable, and like the the league still doesn't realize the ways that it it like chases racialized fans out of the game. It mm-hmm. discourages them, and it says over and over that you know we're not welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they they don't realize that they're saying that. You know, like the the that that group that uh, like all the black hockey players announced this week. I, I don't know the name of the group because I have not been paying that much attention. Yeah, I can't remember. But like either. that that group pretty much already existed before because most of the black hockey players are represented by the same agent and he's the only black agent working in hockey. Oh, right. Like, so Shit, um, do you like know who all... that is? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. It's, uh, it's Eustace King. He's a super nice guy. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, he represents most of them. He's very proud of that. He's a great agent. Um, you know, they all really like him and obviously like he is able to provide them a bit of quiet solidarity in this space that like, you know, they've, they've earned a right to play with their skill, but they're also not really welcome. Um, so, you know, I think that he plays a really important role, but you know, when they announced that they were forming this like committee or task force or what have you, it was like, Oh, well you guys were already a group. Um, <laughs> so this, it's smart that you've rebranded as a group. That's going to be a watchdog for the league. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's um, the league trying to get involved into it. Right. Whereas yeah. before that was just the players and their representative. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. almost like, I mean, 
I guess any progress is probably better than nothing, but it's you almost worry that it'll almost make it worse because these guys used to just be an existing group, but they didn't have the league breathing down their neck. And yeah, now, yeah. now that it's official, it's like you know the league's gonna get their dirty hands all over it. We're not, we're not gonna get it, get into it on this episode because um, it's uh, it like just dropped and it's really huge, and I haven't had the time to do the research on it that I want to do. But like obviously that thing that's going on with the CHL class action lawsuit, right? I brought up the same thing where it's like one of the obvious problems with the CHL is that. Any problem that exists within the CHL has to be solved by the CHL. Mm, and yeah. like mm. whenever you you're in a position where the where, you know, like the owners and the bosses and the management are the ones who are in charge of fixing the problem, like it's not the problem's not gonna get fixed. Like it's just it's completely uh it's complete fantasy to think that that, that any yeah. of those people give a shit, you know? Their role is to defend the status quo, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, obviously, that's why, it's like, stuff like Twitter is is so great because you can just, you know, pull a complete end around on the the systemic racism you're facing and call it out from over here, and nobody can control that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, it's been amazing to see like what Akima Lou has been able to do, Evander Kane has been able to do, just like with a couple of tweets, like, "Hey, mm-hmm. this happened to me," and suddenly the league has to deal with this issue that they've been suppressing for, I think, their entire existence. Mm-hmm. It really has been the story of the season, too, because, like, it's so easy to forget now with just, like, how utterly insane everything is. But but even just even within hockey, things have been more insane than usual, because, like, this whole season kicked off with Don Cherry being insane on TV Oh, and yeah, then, that was so long ago. And it feels like it was so long ago, but it, it, it really it was, was like, you know, that was in November. And then uh, oh, man. and then the Bill Peters thing happened really, I think, just <laughs> after that or maybe just before. And it's like it really has been kind of the theme of of this season is that, you know, it's something we've talked about before and definitely something I've talked about with people before, how hockey just for a really long time has has just thought that they can – escape from the problems of the world like yeah there's the world there's politics there's racism there's conflict and then there's us over here and we're totally insulated from all of that we don't talk about the, the those things but more importantly we don't even have problems with those things and <laughs> this has really been like the season where everyone has sort of figured out that like the NHL can't do that anymore. And not, not just the NHL, but the entire sport of hockey can't do that anymore. It's just not going to yeah. fly. Yeah, I think this is, I don't know if you guys say the word Trump on this podcast, but I think <laughs> that Trump did this. Um, because, you know, like Trump is part of now, he's part of this long legacy of like Republican presidents, Republican politicians who have been very racist, obviously racist. But he's the first one who's ever, you know, in a long time, who's, who's done it without using the code. You know, he doesn't use the like mm-hmm. the secret the secret coded language that gives you plausible deniability. You know, like the other day he did like a tweet where he was like, These thugs need to stop wrecking Seattle and like thugs was in all caps. Like, oh <laughs> yeah. buddy, like yeah. the dog whistle doesn't work when you caps lock it. Yeah, like these mint julep Republicans know you don't like all caps thugs, like <laughs> well, you can't for a lot of them that's their only real problem with him too. It's yeah. just that he like it's like 100%. it's like look, Don, you don't I agree with you, but you don't say it like that. 
Like, yeah, you got to be cool. You got to be cool. Play, play cool. Yeah, and he doesn't. But you know, when you when you you do that, and you like, you're that open about it, and you're that shameless about it. But also, like, your presidency just also like resembles all the other Republican presidencies. <laughs> um, I think it's it's really pulled the mask off, and you know, it's allowed people to see like, oh, these policies really are killing us. Uh, I, we should look into that, you know, and like, hey, maybe we shouldn't have police. Um, and suddenly, you know, stuff that the like America was able to deny during, um, you know, during the Bush years, uh, like it's just staring them right in the face. And since Canada is like a state, it's just a state. Like, where there's barely any difference between these countries. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, Canada is is caught up in all of this because you know Justin Trudeau's the prime minister, but we also kind of treat the president like he's our president. Um, you know, yeah. it, it feels like it's the it's the same country, and it is. Like, yeah, it's Canada the, it's is just same. North North Dakota. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and like Canada has this this you know this long history of um, of not being as racist as America, and it's a very smart identity because like you know you position yourself as like not as racist as the most racist people in the world, <laughs> and then you can be like ah like we're pretty good, huh? Like we're not as racist as America. But like, ah, you are, especially when you just shout it out loud that the main thing about your identity is not racist. Like nothing is a bigger Uh tell than Uh a person who comes up to you and says, I am not a racist. Um, So, you know, I feel like Canada is always going to be caught up in like any attempt to hold like American racism accountable. Like it's actually global. Uh We're actually America. Uh, It's all kind of part and parcel of the same system. Uh I I mean, I mean, I can't believe we forgot so much that Trudeau did blackface. Trump oh, didn't yeah. dislike that's such a weird <laughs> that's such a weird thing to know to Man, look at him like, while he talks about this stuff. My experience is that everyone does blackface. Not does I didn't do blackface, but like did blackface. I want to say at me like <laughs> people <laughs> like my my younger brother. Um, this is also in my memoir. Uh, went as me in blackface. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, uh, to, uh, to, uh, it was, it wasn't a Halloween party because we didn't celebrate Halloween. We were Christians. It was a harvest party. Um, and he, like, he went as me and it was crazy because he'd said, like, my whole family had been like, he's going to go as you. And, you know, so he'll be wearing some of your clothes. And I thought, like, oh, oh like, I, I dress pretty silly. So he'll, it'll be really obvious that he's dressed as me. And then, you know, I came downstairs before we were going to head to this party. And my mom was, like, putting shoe polish on his face. Oh, and they'd, they'd taken a clown wig and they'd spray painted it black. Holy um, shit. And then, like, took, like, an old pair of my glasses. And, yeah, like, it was, like, I rode in the car next to this, like, super racist version of myself. Christ. And then and then he won best costume at the uh, harvest party. Uh, um <laughs> So you literally yeah. had the Akeem Alu thing happen to you. Oh yeah, like oh, and it was a God. family member. Fuck, um, man. Fuck. Yeah, but like you know, like blackface. Like I, I, every party I went to as a teen, there were a couple of guys in blackface, and like mm-hmm. you know, like I, I've been to parties as, as an adult where somebody shows up like, oh, I'm Dennis Rodman. And you're like, okay, well, mm-hmm. like, you could dye your hair and put on a headband, and we'd all be like, we'd all know Dennis, Dennis Rodman. <laughs> it's a sports costume too. Just wear the jersey. <laughs> Yeah, What's right. The name name on, it? on the back. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's a very convincing costume. You're labeled Rodman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's like just one of those things that that so many people did and it it just kind of speaks to like again, like people have no idea how racist they are and like when you are a racialized person and like every one of these little tweaks of racism that happens is a tiny trauma that teaches you how to avoid that next time. Mm-hmm. Like you develop a like a really incredible radar mm-hmm. for who is telling you all about their racism in code. Um yeah. you know, so like 
yeah, I, Trudeau, yeah, like, I, I feel like the, the blackface thing was like, oh, well, that's as egregious as everyone else's racism for my entire life. Um, so I'm not angrier at him than anyone else. <laughs> um, but like, it was pretty dumb. And I'm, I'm glad that it embarrassed him a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Same. I, I had a question. Um, it ties a little bit back to your book, but, uh, I'm just really, maybe not curious, but like excited for there to be a book like this about somebody like you who not only, uh, growing up black around here, but growing up black in rural BC. Yeah. If I'm going to count, if we can count Abbotsford as rural BC. I mean, it was then. Yeah. But like, that has to be such a lonely experience that is experienced by so many people who've never seen themselves in a book. Yeah. Uh, out here, at least. Yeah. I, I think too, like when I was younger, I thought like, I'm the only one, you know, it's just me. And the older I get, like I see versions of me everywhere. Mm-hmm. I feel like every, I've run into the versions of me in other Canadian small towns. Like one yeah. time I, I had a, like a 1-800-GOT-JUNK order and the dude picking up the order, like he was a, a black guy and he started talking to me and he was like, where did you grow up? And I said, Abbotsford. And he was like, you were the only one, right? And I was that's what it seemed like. And he was like, I was the only one at Fort St. John. And then we had a huge laugh because we both <laughs> knew exactly what that meant for us. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I hung out the other day with, uh, with Tanya Aganaba, the musician. Oh, get uh, up. She's and, so uh, cool. Yeah, Tanya's fantastic. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, they were the, like, the, the Harrison of Dawson Creek, British Columbia. And it was a very similar experience. And, you know, like, my birth mom was the, the, the Harrison of Richmond back in the, in the, like, mid 80s. Like, and there's just so many versions of, of me, like, this kind of one black kid or this one displaced, racialized person who goes through life in this bizarre world where everybody pretends there's no racism and the things that are happening to you aren't happening to you. Um, you know, uh, I don't want to get too heady here, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the playwright Lorraine Hansberry said, um, the acceptance of our present condition is the only extremism which discredits us in front of our children. Um, and, uh, I like Hmm. that quote just kind of haunts me because I think about how, like, you know, my mom, my mom is a racist, but like she wanted to love me and she wanted to do like a great job raising me. She just couldn't see the racism. She couldn't see her own racism. She couldn't give me any answers or help me in, in any way. Um, and as a result, you know, we grew apart. And I think that there are like so many kids like me who have grown up in mm-hmm. white houses um, and their parents have let them down and not even realized, you know, and tried mm-hmm. hard not to let them down, but, you know, not realized that um, by accepting the world the way that it is um, and refusing to acknowledge that that world is pitched against your child, um, you've discredited yourself in, in your child's eyes. Um, and it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty serious and it's pretty sad. That's amazing. Yeah, no, get, get as heady as you want, man. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm into it. That's part of the, part of the reason we do this show is just cause I want to, ha- I want this stuff to be out there in a, in a context where it's usually not. But while, while we're on the yeah. subject of being, <laughs> being the only one, um, Anson Carter was in the news this week <laughs> he was, and he was. So Harrison, actually a big part of the reason why I wanted to have you on was because, I mean, obviously, yes, you're black. And so you can like speak to some of the stuff that's happening right now. But one of the, okay, rewinding here slightly, (laughs) I actually think the first podcast that I ever listened to and like really, really enjoyed and that made me want to listen to more podcasts was the Pastabulis podcast. and. I remembered that there was one time where I, I wish I could remember the context, but you guys were talking about Anson Carter and you said some stuff that made me kind of go like, holy shit, I really need to rethink like 
Anson Carter's time in Vancouver. Yeah. Because the the fact that he was a black player is really like kind of skirted over when people talk about him and it is regardless of what you think about him as a as a player or whatever else like it's extremely relevant to his hockey career and yeah. something that you centered in on that I totally didn't know at the time was what that line with the Sedians and Carter was called. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. The brother line. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Three brothers. Yeah. It was it was two brothers and a brother is how oh. it was it was described. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was I was actually about to say like yeah, the only time that ever got referenced was that part. <laughs> yeah. Out out in public. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was it was so unique, right? Like there are there are so few black players. Um, you know, a story I, I tell uh, a fair bit is uh, like when I was younger, you know, I'd play NHL 90 whatever like 02 or what have you. And um, I would always try to make an all-black hockey team. Like, oh, man, that would be so cool. And, you know, usually this hockey team had, like, three lines of fighters. Like, just fighters. Um, And then, you know, they might be Yeah, George LaRock, Donald Brashear, yeah. Yeah, Peter Worrell. Peter uh, Worrell, yeah. That's uh, a name I haven't heard in a while. Mike Greer. yeah. Yeah, like there were there were at least two lines, uh, you know, of these like like black fighters, and it was it was really interesting because like you know for a time it was Jerome Ginla and then all these fighters, mm-hmm. um, and it was really interesting because you know like the fighters were all um, like dark skinned black guys, um, you know, big guys, and you knew that these guys like they came up through junior hockey and everyone challenged them to a fight mm-hmm. every day. And the guys that yeah. made it to the NHL were the guys that won every fight, um, you know. But then Jerome McGinley, like he was your kind of like, you know, that he was held up as the model of what a black hockey player should be like. He should mm-hmm. never say anything about race. He should be as light skinned as possible, mm-hmm. um, you know. Uh, and then, uh, you know, there were there were times like people would say things about Jerome McGinley that, in hindsight, are like very racist. He was one of the only guys who got that like, don't hit him, you might wake him up. You know, um, <laughs> oh remember goodness. that? Like, he's naturally yeah. lazy. He'll just sleep all through the game. But if you hit him, you'll wake him up. And then his superior skill that comes from being like a weird freak animal, mm-hmm. that will come mm-hmm. out. And the then extra bone that's in his leg or whatever. Yeah, it, it was like every time say. that, you know, the Canucks played the Flames, we'd be like, you better watch out for Jerome McGinley. Like, he's a lazy guy. But if you hit him, he's not lazy anymore. <laughs> like, every time. And that was like, yeah, like my, my whole childhood was like McGinley and then these other guys who were just fighters and like, I mean that's a like a I think a just a really bizarre bizarre way to take in hockey like as a as a young mm-hmm. black kid um mm-hmm. you know and it's one of those things that you don't realize like you're internalizing you're internalizing these ideas about like what black people should act like and what they're good for um and you know like it just these, you know, these kind of really pernicious uh like notions about how these guys are different from these guys um and you know it uh, like Anson Carter was one of those uh, one of those guys who like, yeah, he was a like a, a dark-skinned black guy with dreads. Like, how many dudes in the NHL mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. ever had dreads? Um, and, yeah. The like, only one I can think of, truly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, like LaRock, maybe? LaRock. Yeah, yeah, he did. I think towards the end of his career, he yeah. had not the whole for time, a yeah. couple of years. Um, you know, but, like, you know, he, he, he was, a, like, a great hockey player. He was a great scorer. 
but it was clear while he was here, like the only thing that was interesting about this guy was that he was black and the nickname for his line was that he was black. And when it came time for him to negotiate the contract that he earned after an incredible year with the Sedins, um, you know, they lowballed him in a way that they would not have done uh, mm-hmm. if he was a white player. And then when he didn't accept it, they tanked his career um, and said that he was a complainer and a money grabber and he wound mm-hmm. up having to sign for less and just washed out of the league, right? Like, um, I don't think there's any question that what happened to Anson Carter, um, you know, uh, in Vancouver and then, you know, what resulted throughout his career uh, was like pretty shitty um, and deeply racist. Mm-hmm. And so few people ever brought it up. I, I have not even like I knew maybe underneath uh, I felt underneath that there was a racial aspect going on here, but I never saw any article written about it until this week. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, never- thought about it until lately and now it makes total sense but mm-hmm. if you just listen to the media back then you would never have realized it yeah, yeah. i'm in the fortunate position of never ha- having had to have thought about it until well, exactly. exactly very yeah. recently yeah but same. the i i mean have you harrison have you heard the radio hit that he gave where he no, talked about I, that i didn't listen to it um I, yeah i feel like i i can imagine what he'll have said um, yeah so, but, I'll, so yeah for for the sake of the um for if I can figure it out, I'll probably just drop the audio in here. And it, it blew my mind. Like you meant, I mentioned Danny and Hank in Vancouver, and when I was I was brought there at the time, uh, we had three and four year deals on the table. And I told Breeze, I was like, I want a chance to win. I think it's a good opportunity. And he represented Danny and Hank. They hadn't bloomed yet. And Berkey, he drafted them. He knew what kind of good people these guys were. And Breeze echoed that. He said they're really good kids and they work hard. And Pat knew that. I liked getting along, and I was really good with young players with Mike York at Michigan State, Joe Thornton in Boston, uh, MC Mike Carmery in Edmonton. So I said, as long as they work hard, Breeze, that's all that really matters to me. And we went in there. We, we put our heads down. We went to work. Crow would yell and scream at us, and he would never yell at the West Coast Express, Nazi, Maslin, Bertuzzi, and Morrison. Like, he was afraid of those guys. So they'd go down on a 3-0. They'd miss the net by 50 feet. Crickets. Wouldn't say anything. We'd go down there. Tic-tac-toe off the crossbar. You three sisters, get your heads out of your butt. I can't believe you guys. And I'm looking over at Hank and Danny, and they're cowering in the corner. And I skate over at the first day of practice and said, hey, listen here, guys. I play for Pat Burns. Don't listen to anything this guy's saying. He's trying to yell at the West Coast Express, but he's afraid of those guys. He's taking out on us, but he's really young at those guys. And they're like, wow, you think so? Don't trust me. All I'm saying to you guys is we're not cycling in the corner for – 45, 50 seconds. Take the oxygen tanks off. We're going to cycle in the corner for 15 <laughs> seconds. We're taking it to the cage, and then we're changing. <laughs> but, you know, I, I loved it. It was great. But then the season was over, and I think I, I, I took a pick at the time to play there for like a million bucks, and we're trying to do my deal. And I said, hey, Breeze, have you talked to Van? Because I told Breeze, I'm like, I love it here. I'm going to take, you know, three years times two if they want to come to the table with that, scoring 33 goals or whatever. And he's like, nope, but we're working on Danny and Hank's deal. I was like, Danny and Hank's deal? What have they done before? Well, they want to see you do it again. I was like, what do you mean, what do, you mean do it again? Like, how do you vote the most exciting player by the people there in Vancouver and you have to do it again? I said, check my stats, Breeze. I said, Breeze, I know what's going on. He goes, I know what's going on, too. And I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. And it was funny because all the people in Vancouver ripped me for being greedy, and they don't know. Like, they never really offered me a raise there. They said, you know, We'll give you a slight bump, maybe a hundred grand, and that's it. I was like, no, I got way too much pride for that. And then when Danny and Hank came out in that Tribune, Tribune article, I believe it was, that they said, you no, know, Anson was great for our careers. 
people are like, oh, yeah, we knew it. We knew it all the time. No, you didn't. You're the same people that were saying that I was taking too much credit for what happened with the three of us. Like, we had great chemistry, and no one was afraid to admit that. And I really believe if I was a different color hockey player, and I'm going to say it, I really believe I'd have looked, I've been looked at a lot differently. I really do. But he was on 650 the other day, and someone asked him, you know, like about racism in the NHL, and he had he had a really interesting take because the thing about Carter is that he's a very he's a very interesting guy, and his like for a long time, I always interpreted him as as just being like, oh, he's kind of cagey, and like, you know, he doesn't really want to do the the whole thing where he talks about how great the Sedians are, or whatever, and. You know, he seems like he kind of doesn't want to give them credit for for his season in Vancouver or whatever, and that's kind of weird. And then I just never really, you know, naively, I guess, like I never really thought about how being a black player might have played into that. And so his take on this was really interesting. Um, he said, we had three or four-year deals on the table, before, and this, he's talking about before he came to Vancouver. I told Breeze, his agent, uh, I wanted the chance to win and thought this was a good opportunity. He represented Danny and Hank, who hadn't really bloomed yet, and Berkey, he drafted them. He knew what good people they were, and Breeze echoed that. He said, they're good kids and they work hard. I'd had a good history with young players, so I said, you know what? As long as they work hard, that's all that really matters to me. So we put our heads down and went to work. Crow would yell and scream at us, but we, but he'd never yell at the West Coast Express. They'd go down on a 3-on-0 and miss the net by 50 feet. Crickets. He wouldn't say anything. <laughs> then we'd go down tic-tac-toe off the crossbar, and he'd be screaming at us, you three sisters, get your heads out of your butts, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and Hank and Danny would be cowering in the corner. And then he, he goes on to say that uh, he basically <laughs> told Hank and Danny, like, look, anytime I've, I've played for guys like this before, and anytime he yells at us, he's really yelling at the West Coast Express, but he's too afraid of those guys, basically. Mm -hmm. So he won't yell directly at them. But then he says, but I loved it. It was great. But then when the season was over, uh, I, and I think I took a pay cut to play there for like a million bucks. It was time to do my deal. And I said, hey, Breeze, have you talked to Van? Because I told Breeze I love it here. And I would take a, a three-year uh, or a three-year yeah, three deal at $2 million to stay here because I love it so much. And he said, uh, nope, but we're working on Danny and Hank's deal. Danny and Hank's deal? What have they ever done before? Well, they say they want to see you do it again. What do you mean do it again? How are you voted the most exciting player? And then they tell you you have to do it again. I said, I know what's going on here. And Breeze said, yeah, I know what's going on here too. And I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. And it was funny because all the people wow. in Vancouver ripped me for being greedy. And they don't know that they never really offered me a raise there. They said, we'll give you a slight bump. I was like, no, I've got too much pride for that. And then when Hank and Danny came out with that Tribune article, people were like, oh, we knew it the whole time. No, you didn't. You're the same people who were saying I took too much credit for what happened with the three of us. And we had great chemistry, and no one was afraid to admit that. And I really believe that if I was a different color hockey player, I'd be looked at a lot differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, one one thing that I've I've experienced a bunch of times and it always surprises me cuz you know, you you think that you think that everybody is 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 working to treat you equally, but then you realize that you are the easiest person to disparage in any room that you're in. Like if if somebody needs a scapegoat or if they need to attack somebody, like they have extra leverage with you because people have all these built-in uh, you know, ideas about what you're like. Mm. So, you know, in the case of Anson Carter, like he earns a raise 
but he's not just negotiating with, um, you know, with his production for that year. He's also negotiating with his blackness and it makes him weaker. Um, it, it mm. makes him, uh, you know, it makes it a lot easier to paint him as a greedy guy and a guy who's just all about the money, mm. um, you know, and, uh, and so like he has to deal with that. And as a result, you know, they can lowball him because, you know, you either take this money or we'll do to you what we do to everyone, you know, who, uh, who asks for more money or, or is uppity or is, you know, trying to, you know, um, like act above their station. Like it, mm-hmm. it was, it was really easy to just kind of torpedo his career after that. And they did. Yeah. I'm thinking in my head of all the times I've heard players who, uh, the the team is really trying to get them to sign a contract. It's during the off season. The player has gone back home to Sweden or somewhere in Europe, and the the general manager flies out to Europe to go negotiate with them. That would never happen with the black player. Never, you would never man. see that. Yeah, and like you also can't you can't speak out about it, right? Like if no. you if you speak out about racism, you know, in hockey or in media or whatever else, like what you've done is you've um, you've let everybody know, and the racists who run like all of these industries in these sectors you've let them know that you will speak out about this and that's a liability for them you know they don't they don't want somebody like they want diversity right they want to bring in a black guy but they don't want to bring in a black guy who is going to point out that they're all pretty racist mm-hmm. um Absolutely. and so yeah like so you wind up like if you say anything about the way that you've been treated like it's just going to make it harder for you to get another job um you know because until we we get you know these kind of like racist folks out of these positions of leadership um, you know, they have all the hiring and they don't want to be caught out. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, they will be because you know, they're racist. So <laughs> yeah, you just kind of have to keep your mouth shut if you want to keep playing in the league. Um, and you, I mean, you can see from like, you know, like black hockey players that are even above replacement level, like often they're, they're gone in a couple of years. Um, and we think that it's because they just couldn't hack it. Like, come on. It's yeah. because it's because of a bunch of other things that either discourage them from, you know, playing in this league uh, or, you know, like, I don't know, like, like kind of blacklisted them from the league. Like, it's just uh, it's kind of this systemic thing that only happens to them. And it's why we don't hear about these things until way later. Well, and that was the thing that this quote like made me think about was I had heard so much about Anson Carter that. I heard a lot of things about Anson Carter that were not nice, I guess is the the best way to put it, or just were were did not cast the best light on him. Right. And some some of those things might have been true. Like maybe he was a pain in the ass to deal with. Like maybe some of the maybe there maybe these things did come from somewhere. But the thing that I just kept coming back to was like, well, okay, but how much of this gets steam because just because he's black? Yeah. And then how much of like, um, you know, at what point does that follow you around so much that you just start to be like, well, okay, fuck it. I am going to be a pain in the ass then. Yeah. Because if everybody's mm-hmm. going to act like I'm a pain in the ass, then I might as well use that to my advantage instead of trying to fight against it, you know? And yeah. the thing that I that I kept coming back to and that I kept thinking about while while I, I read, the, read the article about this quote and then also went back and listened to the audio from it was that, like... We really do kind of have a revisionist history of Anson Carter in in Vancouver because he at the time that he came to that he came to Vancouver, he was the established player on that line. Yeah. The Sedins weren't. Yep. And obviously now it's hmm. easy to say 
that, you know, it's all sour grapes because he washed out of the league a year later and the Sedians went on to be the Sedians. But it is weird that Anson Carter had had, you know, it was not that far removed from, I think, five straight 40 plus point seasons. And he had had a, a season in like his his season with the Sedians was not his career high in points. He had a, a season in Edmonton where he had 60 points. And um, yeah. it was just interesting to go back and kind of look at the totality of his career and go like, holy shit, like I've seen this guy like this specific player a guy who's you know like a power forward who's pretty talented but not like a superstar but who's white i've seen this guy cash in yeah at least a dozen times and so yeah in retrospect like it does make perfect sense that he might be a little bit resentful about the time that he spent here because for so many other players this would have been their opportunity to cash in and for him he got one year at two and a half million dollars which obviously you know he was an older guy so like you know i don't think the canucks made the wrong decision necessarily by prioritizing hank and danny over him but like you know he's absolutely got a right to be jaded about it and to be frustrated about it you know yeah and like again you know like i said earlier you know right like you your radar for this stuff is is honed over a bunch of really shitty experiences. So you know when um, like something unforeseen happens, uh, and it's obviously because you're black. You know, you so like for for Anson Carter to to come away from that like convinced that it's because he was black. He knows like no one mm-hmm. else is gonna know this. Like Anson Carter is gonna know this. So I mean, I I believe him. Um, I mean, my experiences in hockey, like I was I was shocked at how overtly racist people felt that they could be to me, um, you know, in, in this community, it was bizarre. Like I've, mm-hmm. I've worked in all kinds of, you know, like sectors, industries where people are kind of racist. And again, everyone seems to be all the time. So that's fine. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, like hockey, it was, it was wild. Like I spent a year, uh, working for the Abbotsford Heat as a, as a color guy, color commentator. And obviously, like, uh, you know, every time they'd be like, oh, what are you doing? And I'd say, oh, I'm a color commentator. You get oh, that no. joke, right? Oh, yep. no. um, yeah. But, like, I had an afro that year, and, you know, uh, like members of the Heat organization and the Flames organization would pull me aside constantly and be like, you need to shave that. No one will take you seriously. Um, Fuck you know, off. My, uh, yeah, it was amazing. And then the, the moment that I was like, this is crazy – was, um, you know, one day I came in and, and Daniel had written an article for Pasta de Boulis, um, arguing that Canucks fans can cheer for the Heat without cheering for the Flames. You know, he was like, I you can that. cheer for, yeah, it was funny. It was like, you can cheer for the Heat and these guys to make the Flames and then just root against them so that they wash out back to the Heat. Like, it's perfect. <laughs> Classic um, Daniel article, too. <laughs> that's such a, that's such a Daniel such a take. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, but uh, the, the, the coach of the Heat then, I, I think he's with the Canucks organization now, Troy Ward. Oh, yeah. He called me into his office. Like, so I got there and someone was like, Troy wants to speak to you. Like, he's, he's really mad. He's really mad. Um, so I went in and, you know, he's, he's an intimidating guy. Um, and he, uh, he said to me, like, this article by your buddy Daniel, like, is completely across the line. It disparages my guys. Like, it, it makes a fool of us. You need to take it down right away. And I said, okay, listen, like, I know that you think that there's a difference between bloggers and journalists, but there really isn't. Like, Daniel is his own man. Uh, I don't tell him what to write or what not to write. Like, you, you can't get me to take down his article. Like, that's his expression. 
I'm not doing it. Yeah, if you and, got a problem, take it up with him, basically. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, that's, you, know, you can't tell me to take down an article. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's this pause. And then he's like, you know what, Harrison? I really respect you. You know, when you came in here, I had half a mind to get the security guard and say, Jesus. Take, his, take his black ass out of here. Fucking um, Fuck you know, off. But, uh, but you stood up for yourself, and I really respect that. And it just caught me so off guard because, like, who says that shit? Um, you know, and, uh, like I, I think I finished out the season and there were just so many moments like that. Like there was a guy who like, he commented on my, my Negroid features and like Negroid is one of those words people will say every now and then to me. And I'm like, are you you from the past? Like the past. Um, what is this? Like a fucking like novel from the late 1800s? Yeah, no, like it's, it was wild. So yeah, there were, there were moments like that where I, I just realized like, these guys are so insulated in this particular community um, that, like, there's no question that, you know, the, like, the whole hockey infrastructure is just deeply racist. And what these guys do is they, like, they hire guys who laugh at their jokes and think like mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they continue just moving around from organization to organization. And so, yeah, like, the top of most of these organizations, you know, like, the front offices are populated with all kinds of dudes um, who are as brazen about it as, you know, like, Troy Ward was in this moment. And so, mm-hmm. like, it wasn't a surprise to find out that later on, like he's he's going to join the Canucks organization now. Like that's the culture. Certainly wouldn't um, be the first time too. Do you remember uh, Mike Adessa? Oh, that name sounds kind of familiar. Okay, so Mike Adessa or Adessa, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Was uh, he was hired by the early like Jim John regime as an amateur scout, and he worked uh he was he was the coach of the rpi engineers i believe in the uh in the ncaa uh way back in the i think either like somewhere around the early 90s maybe late 80s and he said to one of his black players who i'm sorry i cannot remember the name of at this moment but he did end up making the nhl he had some sort of tirade where he was going off on his players and he said something to this black player that was to the effect of like, if you're gonna act like an N-word, I'm gonna treat you like one. Oof. And this was a Christ. bit of a story when they <laughs> when they hired him. <laughs> and I remember, you know, naively, like I had just started writing about hockey back then. I was writing for uh Jeremy Davis's old blog, One Canuck, and I was like, I'm gonna fucking write about this. This is fucked up. I don't like this. It's it's just like like okay it's one thing to hire him but like if they're gonna hire him, this is a conversation that we all need to have. Like you can't just hire this guy and then not address that he said this horrendous thing, you know. And um and I wrote about it and I got like death threats over yeah. writing this thing about no just being just being like hey it seems bad that like they have Jordan Subban in their system and they hired this dude who said this horrendously racist thing. Yeah. And I remember Canucks Reddit came after me and like, it was really scary um, as somebody who had probably only written like four blog posts up to that <laughs> point. And I'm sure whatever yeah. I wrote probably wasn't any, any good or whatever, but like, you know, nobody else was talking about it. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to write this thing. And, um, and it was really scary. Like I, I was like, fuck, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. If this is how people are going to 
respond and that was yeah. just me as a white guy being like hey guys i think uh, racism might be bad um <laughs> so i can only i can barely fucking imagine what it's actually like for somebody who has to like live with that you know and yeah, closer it, to the league yes yeah, exactly it, it, it sucks um and yeah like the 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 response that you get if you write an article about racism in hockey um like is overwhelming um, you know, like often you'll, you'll see people who will be like, you know, don't ask me about this thing, uh, because of, uh, it's too much emotional labor, you know, like it's a lot of emotional labor to come out here and explain race to all these people. Um, and it's, it's super true. Like you write an article and you spend like a week fending off hate tweets and death threats, and then people spread lies about you. And then, you know, what often happens that I've always hated is someone will dig up an old article where you were still really finding your legs as, like, you know, somebody who talks about race. Um, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, like, where I came from, like, it took a long time. And so, like, there are articles that I, I wrote when I thought I had a handle on it, and I really hadn't found my language yet. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, and, I, and I would write th these articles, and then... You know, they'd be kind of well-received because no one else knew what I was talking about either. <laughs> um, but, you know, then like a few years later, like I'd write something that was a little smarter and people would be like, oh, we're, we're going to listen to this guy. Like a couple of years ago, you know, he, he wrote about P.K. Subban's swagger. And, you know, I was like, I was trying to find a term for what it is. And obviously that wasn't the right term. But like, is everything dismissed now? Like, is yeah. it is it all gone? Yeah. Does the fact that I like fucked up one thing a long time ago, like make it so yeah. that I never can have anything valuable to say again? Have you, yeah. have you paid attention to the hockey like commentator? Industry? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say, Elliot? Sorry. Well, just that, like specifically the PK swagger thing, like this is the thing that literally everyone has said pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously I mean, that is a coded word, but at the same time, like everybody the guy has. Yeah, a ton it's of not confidence. like it wasn't in the discourse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think now, like if I was going to write that again, I'd point out that like we're talking specifically about blackness and whiteness. Right. So a guy mm -hmm. like Jerome McGinley, like is black but also projects a lot of whiteness. And it's prox yes. it's his proximity to whiteness that has allowed him to kind of, you know, be overlooked and, and have his blackness be forgotten. Um, you know, it's, it's not something that is, uh, like, it's still present for him every day. Like, he's still a black person. But at the same time, he's, he's a very comfortable black person for a deeply racist sport. Mm, um, absolutely. You know, so, like, you know, when I'm talking about swagger, like, that, in hindsight, is what I was really trying to say is, like, P.K. Subban's blackness is troubling to hockey because it's so loud. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know yeah. we don't probably don't want to talk too much about Evander Kane, but I had to explain the whole Evander Kane saga to someone lately and how mm. originally when he was getting lots of negative attention, it was because he was a black athlete acting in a way that is stare. I mean, I don't know the, exactly how I want to phrase this, but he was definitely not performing as a white athlete. Like, yeah, he wasn't. That's a good way to phrase that. That's a good phrase. Right? Yeah. Like he wasn't yeah. performing white athleteness. He was performing black athleteness. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you can't do and that. And then he in got hockey. in trouble for something real, and then everyone stopped complaining about the stupid things yeah. and <laughs> has immediately gone on to a redemption arc, which is a whole different can of worms. Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he's arrived at black consciousness, and I, like, I'm proud of him. Um, you know, this is a guy who grew up around here. Uh, which means that he he had the same experience that I did. Mm. I, I guarantee yeah. you that dude internalized a ton of anti-blackness. Um, I know of a bunch of stories, um, you know, where Evander Kane like came out to a tournament and faced like 
a ton of racism and then like double racism when it turned out he was the obvious best player there. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. He, but you know, you like in order to, to, to make it to the NHL in hockey as a black person, like you have to learn how to look the other way. Um, and the problem is that, you know, when you spend your whole life looking the other way, you wind up, um, yeah. you know, like not being able to address it, to speak to it, to see it even, um, you know, in your life. And so, you know, now that he's kind of coming around and beginning to kind of pull the scales from his eyes and, and get a sense of himself, like I'm, I'm genuinely proud of him. On a, on a less like heavy note, where does Anson Carter rank in the pantheon of Sadian line mates? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, of line mates? Yeah. Uh, oh, man. I mean, I don't know. He's like, uh, it goes, obviously, Alex Burrows is number one, and yeah. it's not close. Um, and then I feel like he's got to be top five, right? Like, I yeah. know it was just he's one season. He's but... got a case for number two, I think. I, that's what I think. Maybe. Like, yeah. I don't know if I, I don't know if I would say he's, he's for sure number two with a bullet, but, you know, like, I pulled up the. Um, we, he's number two on the Passive Bulis quiz goals list yeah exactly oh, okay. and he and he he's got the numbers he's he's absolutely got the numbers and the thing that you know he alluded to in his radio hit too was that like you know the the uh, when i think about the Sidians and i think about line mates i think about that dr ian malcolm quote from jurassic park where he's like, uh, you know, you spent so much time thinking about whether or not you could, you never thought about whether or not you should. And that's how I feel about like playing grinders with the Sidians, basically. And there's this, this thing that happens with the Sidians where uh, we, we sort of, now that they've retired, we treat whoever played on that line as like an afterthought. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, anybody could play with them. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, anybody could play with them. But how many players that played with them actually elevated the line, like actually made it yeah. better? Yeah. And you think about after Carter left, like they cycled through so many different guys, Taylor Pyatt, Jan Bulis, famously, obviously. I don't know how we how we got so late into the podcast without mentioning Jan Bulis, but I actually don't think much about him as a hockey player. It was just a <laughs> fun a name for the blog. Yes, fair fair <laughs> enough. Um but I mean like ultimately when it comes to, to guys who had success with the Sidians, like you could put Yana Kansen in there for sure. You could put Verbata in there and you could put uh, Michael Samuelson, although you know he didn't spend a ton of time on that line. Now and that, then yeah, that's Carter. Like yeah, I keep thinking this whole time. I've been thinking, what if he got extended? That like, how different would the Canucks be from two thousand six? Yeah, is oh five oh six? Yep, that's right. From yeah oh six to twenty ten, uh, which is around when Burroughs uh, really cracked it with them. This, uh, I I think we would have had way more playoff success. I, I'm just I'm just digging through my head. Like we would have been a much better team if uh, if he got the money. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think there's yeah. certainly a case to be made, and I understand, like I said, like I understand why they didn't do it because there's cap problems and they wanted to prioritize the Sidians or whatever. Like I'm not, I'm not going to make the case that like it was um, right. that that it was the um, that it was this horrible hockey move that they didn't re-sign him or whatever. Even if it was also probably kind of racist that they didn't want to give him a raise, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a part of you that can't help but, but but think like, oh boy, we could have saved ourselves a lot of years of Taylor Pyatt and Steve Bernier and uh, like all these other, you know, just like random guys that uh, 
the Wade Brookbank experiment. Yes. I remember yeah. that goal so, so clearly. <laughs> it was against San Jose. Yep. Two on one, I think. Oh, beautiful. They like banked it off of him, right? Like, yeah. Was... <laughs> yeah, there were some good, there were some good ones. I always, we've, I've mentioned it on the show multiple times. I was really times, upset but, because uh, I tried to, I, I put in Wade Brookbank on the quiz and I don't think his name actually is in there. No, because yeah, he, he, only one Sedin assisted on the goal. Yeah. Right. yeah. There are other, there are others too. Uh, Lee Sweat is another one who oh, like, that's what I was looking for. He yeah. wasn't oh, uh, yeah. wasn't technically both Sudians, but uh, one guy who did get a goal assisted by uh, both Sudians, though Brad Lukowicz, my favorite yeah. my favorite goal of all time, the Brad Lukowicz, one goal. of the best. Ones. Oh yeah, <laughs> so good. Um, Absolutely. Well, we're we're running uh, we're running up into like full time here, but Harrison, my fiance, would never be able to forgive me. If I didn't ask you about the I Need Benino song. Oh, my God. Uh, because she loves no, that. I don't, think, I don't think I know the song. And Oh, okay. Well, you're, you're about to learn some things. But uh, I also just have the image of you, uh, the, the sort of like five seconds before you start singing where you're just dancing and Daniel looks oh, really yeah. uncomfortable. That image is just burned into my, into my memory. But as a, as a closeout... Um, can you just briefly explain what the I Need Benino uh, video was and how it came to be? Uh, yeah. All right. So, you know, I, if I remember correctly, the Canucks traded Ryan Kessler um, and they got back Nick Benino and it was just like a dumb trade. It was like, why would you do that? Yeah, it was like, um, why was that the guy you you targeted yeah, as your yeah. as your guy, you know? Yeah, and so I just thought it was funny. Like, I, there might have even been like a, a like an interview where whoever was the GM then uh, was it, it was was it Benning for that one? It was. Yeah, Benning's it was Benning. like first um, action, you know, where he'd said like we pushed for Nick Benino. It was like why? Like you friggin' idiot! Yeah, like, you didn't push for Benino. <laughs> you like had to settle for him. <laughs> yeah, like they gave you Benino, and you're like, well, it's better than you know. Whoever. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I thought it would be funny to to do like this this song where, you know, it was like from the perspective of Jim Benning, like insisting on Bonino. Like, if you don't give me Bonino, like the deal is Seward. Like, I need Bonino <laughs> and only Bonino. Uh, so, yeah. And then um, like I, I recorded it and we, we went in and um, like I kind of pitched the idea to Daniel there. Like, OK, so. Like, I'm just going to start singing this song. And, like, why? Like, your response is why? Like, why are we doing this? This is the worst song. Like, it's, it's, there's, there's no, like, there aren't even any bells and whistles in the video. Like, you're just dancing in a white room. And then occasionally we cut to actual footage from Bonnie Tyler's holding up for a hero. Yes. Um, Dude, I'm watching right now. I'm having the time of my life. This is so good. (laughs) This is classic Vias watches a video while recording a podcast. Uh, the like the moment for me that makes it like I think that you know like it, it's funny it's funny to go back like often when I look back at my old stuff I'm like oh like you're an asshole and a clown but um, in that instance I like I, I still feel like this video is funny and it's because of Daniel um, like it's it's <laughs> right at the end when Daniel just like stops the song like stop um, <laughs> that's the funniest shit I've ever seen like that's it's just so funny to me because it like it, it felt serious in the moment like I was just like continuing to dance and he came over like stop um, <laughs> funny guy that Daniel he I is. Like him. yeah he's a you, good guy you, dude you're sweating in this video this is oh, amazing man. yeah I gained a bunch of weight too like I was like <laughs> I was really out of shape 
Um, and yeah, like I just, I sweat like crazy. And then that room was really hot. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it didn't make me look good or handsome. <laughs> <laughs> At least you weren't in as revealing clothes as you were in the call the union parody. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, we we got to share this as part of the, when we release the episode. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll probably just include it as the outro music, honestly. Uh, excellent. Uh, Harrison, oh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a blast. Yeah, um, thank this you. is a lot of fun. Well, uh, you really, you really fit in here. A hundred percent. Yeah, the perfect. Like I, I right from the right from the get go, I had people that I was like, he'd be a good guest for this show specifically, and Harrison was always one of them. So I'm glad we uh, were. I'm glad we were able to do it. We'll have to have you back on again when the book comes out, and uh, maybe maybe we could actually have you and Daniel on sometime for some sort oh, of. Oh, that uh, would be fun for some sort of you know I don't know some theme episode we could talk about I don't know. Jan Bullis or something. I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. That's um, a good oh, we could do. Yeah, we could do a heritage minute of him jumping on that guy's back. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Um, where can the good people find you, Harrison? Uh, I mean, right now I'm I'm writing at the Vancouver Sun almost every day. Um, and then uh, you know, you uh, my book comes out in uh, in the fall of 2022. Um, or you could come have a drink in my East Van backyard. Uh, those are really <laughs> the only. The only three ways to find me right now. Fantastic! I will. I will take you up on all of those <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. You can follow me on Twitter at FailSonMcDonald. You can follow me at Vyasaran. You can follow me at Moose Kayak. Well, I'm on. I'm on Twitter too, right? Yeah, I'm on Twitter as well. Ah, uh, yes. That. Yeah, you're. <laughs> you're just at Harrison Mooney, right? I am. Yeah, yeah okay, I'm the fantastic. only one. And I didn't. I didn't mention him. Uh, on the show uh, until just this very moment, but uh, when when the Anson Carter audio came out, uh, Andrew Walker's take was, uh, wow, it's crazy that Anson Carter would accuse Dave Nonis of racism. So I, I don't have to tell you where to send your hate mail this week. I'll just leave it at you that. Know, uh, yeah, I'm not going to say anything disparaging about Andrew Walker, but that response does not surprise me. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Hi, this is Harrison Mooney and Daniel Wagner from the hockey blog Pass It to Bullis. Today we're previewing the upcoming Vancouver Canucks season. That's right. Uh, the biggest thing we have to talk about, Nick Benino and how Jim Benning had to settle for Benino mm. in a Kessler trade. That's not really what happened, though. What do you mean? Allow me to play act. Hi, Bob Murray. This is James Elmer Benning.
he's got a 